Hey listeners, it's Alex, your host of EOA, Entrepreneurs of Asia, a show where we talk to founders, investors, and entrepreneurs impacting the Asia region and beyond. A few months back, I got a chance to sit down and talk with my good friend Daniel Torres, who is part of the Easy Taxi Gang. Since Easy Taxi, he has helped scale many more ventures from Edigo to Xylem and the well-funded Neotelco Circles Life, backed by the likes of Founders Fund and more. There's always a ton of coverage on the grind of startups and their successes. Less so is there any coverage on the failure aspect of entrepreneurship, and even less so, what are founders and entrepreneurs doing in between failed or successful startups? How does one get started on the next idea, or what does this space look and feel like? Today, we briefly explore this time of pause and reflection. We talk about meditation and look back on some of Daniel's journey from starting in Silicon Valley to launching his venture scaling career in Latin America with Easy Taxi to building playbooks for the likes of Edigo, Xylem, and Circles Life, all companies which had some form of success and raised millions of dollars in capital to grow. In the end, where will Daniel end up? Latin America, United States of America, or Asia? Where's the most exciting place to be right now? Stay tuned to find out, and as usual, Feel free to skip around to different chapters if your podcast platform allows it. Let's listen and dive right in. Welcome to the show, Daniel. How have you been? Hello, Mister. It's been a while. Yeah, it's been it's been uh, how long since the last time we talked? Uh, maybe six months, I would say. Six months. Yes, this was when you were still based in Singapore. Man. Um... Maybe Australia, actually. I don't know. I have moved so much that it's hard to know, like, exactly when. Yeah. So we have with us here today Daniel Torres, uh, currently the, the CEO and founder of Nothing, right? <laughs> Correct. Yes, and, and I, I think that's that's something to embrace. You know, everyone's always talking about, you know, you got to be on the next thing. What are you doing? What are you creating? What's exactly. the grind, right? Um, but that must feel good, right? Man, it's good. It's good to take a break and... I think it's also good just to, you know, spend time with family. I think in general, um, you know, the, the whole COVID-19, I think a lot of people rethought a lot of stuff. And I think oh, they, yeah. um, a lot of people, I, you know, they learn a lot of lessons, definitely. <laughs> so um, I think uh, it's, it's one of those, those big changes. Um, and it happened to me, actually, you know. Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of our guys in our cohort from, from Easy Taxi and Rocket Internet feeling the same thing. Here I am doing a podcast of my friends enjoying the conversations in life. Um, but a quick, quick intro before we move on. You know, uh, we could follow Daniel on his beautiful Instagram. I think it's public, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, uh, T-O-R-R-D-A, Torda? Torres Daniel. Torres Daniel, yeah, and then Twitter as well, D-T-O-R-R-S, Detours. I haven't used that one in a long time. That was from my I, times yeah. in Silicon Valley, man. <laughs> yeah, but I guess I guess you're still uh, keeping up with social media. You're still writing these days, right? You're, you're active on Medium under the, the pseudonym DT as well, right? Well, um, the thing is I decided to take a break. Basically, I was traveling constantly. Um, you know, I was part of like expansion teams. And I was in Australia with the Neo Telco Circus Live based out of Singapore. Um, and, and yeah, man, it was part of like pandemic, you know, part of like also a bit of tiredness, you know, a bit of a burnout, you can call it. Um, and decided just to, you know, take a break, um, 
sort of I think it's also the age I'm I'm, I'm 37 at this point so you you want to do um you want to sort of rethink the things that you're doing a little bit and and maybe plan for let's say the next five ten years and so on so yeah, I'm, yeah definitely I, I feel you know a few years ago when we were leaving easy taxi i thought we had like a similar conversation right like we had to probably focus on the things that we knew would have in, you know bigger deeper impact things that we actually cared about uh we, we toyed around with some ideas that we didn't really actually care about so it never took off um so I, I don't know. I, I guess you know. I guess you've been continuing that journey, right? Um, yes. I mean, I always been a person that wants to try a lot of different things. So that might be a good and a bad thing, right? Um, yeah. I hit a lot of walls, and that's the way I learn, right? Um, yeah. But I think some of that learning that I that we got from Rocket Internet, right, was um, sort of like you feel like you're able to create. So you become more a creator than just a doer for the sake of, of doing, right? Yeah. And if, if you see, let's say our generation of rocket internet, I think um, a lot of people maybe share the same feeling of like, what do I do next, right? Like, do I move like horizontally to uh, mm. like in positions or do I create something myself? Like, wh what do I go from here? So, yeah, um, I guess that's that's a bit of uh, the big question every time you you go into a project. Yeah, I mean, there's a few things to unpack there. Um, it's interesting you frame it that way because Rocket is famous uh, or infamous more for execution versus product, or you know, just getting things done good enough, scaling it big with resources behind it versus. Um, which, which is a little bit different kind of a creator mindset than what you'll see from other countries, other regions like Silicon Valley, right? Um, but, but I guess I could see your point at the same time is like, you know, we should be doing something. Uh, and how that manifests, then I guess it's up to how, how do you interpret it? And I guess your version of interpreting that is through creation, right? Well, what I mean um, is that you feel capable of starting your own business. You, mm, you were okay. part of a generation that I mean, yes, you were using someone else's money in a way, right? Uh, or funding, yeah. but you built uh, a business, right? In your country, yeah. in your city and so on. So I think from that, it's, it's actually sometimes it's hard to just go back to, let's say, a nine to five sort of regular job. And, and, uh, and yeah, I think that you, you have that question of like, what do I do, right? Uh, do I go to that yeah. regular job or do I stay as an entrepreneur, basically? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. Um, and I guess on the flip side, right, what happens is a lot of people who look at you don't understand your skill set and what you can do. Uh, you're kind of seen as a, a generalist who, who doesn't really maybe contribute specifically to one thing and people have a hard time placing you. Do you find that to be true or do you think that doesn't matter as much these days? No, I, I think that's, that's a hundred percent true. Um, you become this person that in a way, yes, knows a lot of, a lot about or a little bit about everything, but you're not like, I don't know, like a data scientist and you went to yeah. school for this and, uh, I don't know, you're like building your career from there, right? 
And you can feel it whenever, I don't know, whenever you're going to apply for a job, basically. And then they say, like, okay, yeah. we're looking for these particular skills. And you're like, well, I know a bit of that, a bit of that, a bit of that. But am I an expert, really, right? Should I be an expert uh, in order to apply for that? So, yeah, definitely you can feel that. I mean, at the same time, I feel like, I don't know if this is hubris or not, but if you are applying to a job with a specific skill set, uh, I believe most of the people in our cohort would have the potential if they had just focused on it. And I've seen this happen a few times, you know, like uh, the, uh, a few guys are hired almost close to the founding level senior management, uh, but they have to focus on one area, but they're able to perform very well according to their skill set, even though it's uh, something very technical and deeper. It's just that, you know, before you're forced to be very generalist when you're scaling early stage, um, it's not like they lack the ability or, you know, that they can't do it. True. Uh, and I think that, and so the hard part is, you know, like, I guess one, what you're saying is one thing is you have to choose that. But at the second, I guess at the second time, it's like, how do you see yourself selling it? And does that feel disingenuous, right? Cause you were trying to get the job at the same time, or what has your experience been around that? Cause, you know, ever since Rocket, you've jumped to quite a few different companies from Xylem, Rocket Uncle to EDGO to Circles Life, right? Um, yeah. So how did, how had you positioned yourself? Uh, or have you always told sold yourself as a generalist and people accepted you, or did you just feel like you just had to change who you were and mold it to get the job? Yeah, it's it's funny. It's funny because in a way, let's say within that generalism that you have, I've been sort of the guy that takes companies from zero to one, right? It could be yeah. because they're either starting or because um, they're expanding to new markets and so on. And they need that person that obviously, in a way, is not afraid of like, um, have a white piece of paper and like figure things out, right? Um, but at the same time, and again, this is part of what I, why I took the break was because I didn't know if I wanted just to be that guy. And where is that yeah. leading to really, right? So yeah. I was asking myself yeah. these questions of like, I mean, you're basically a hustler, right? Yeah. I mean, at that point. And I was like, oh man, uh, maybe I need to, maybe I need to rethink things a little bit. And I think uh, I'm in a good time to do so as well. I completely agree with you. Uh, you kind of get typecast. I mean, one, one, it's a very rare and harder specific skill set to kind of do what we've done and to continue to do. Um, at the same time, you keep getting boxed in these things where there's a lot of money chasing too few good deals, especially in the Southeast Asia region, the Asia region, right? And the one upside is that, you know, there's no shortage of people always coming to you every few months or so asking you for the next venture to be the next country manager, the next founding guy, the next venture partner, oh, this telecom wants to do this, right? Uh, but then, you know, like, some of my friends, like, even though, like, much earlier cohorts, similar or some different paths, they look at my CV and they're like, oh, you're just a rent-to-CEO, rent aren't you? And, like, you know, that's just like, that's <laughs> like, it is what it isn't, right? It doesn't feel good to view that. So, uh, so I understand the need to either just, you know, focus on something deeper, cultivating something or changing the mindset, Um and I guess one of my other friends had also mentioned this is that I think there's a you know, period in your life where you can kind of do that kind of job that we've done for a certain time, but you kind of have to grow beyond it to start building things either 
uh, for yourself or for society at large are creating actual value that's sustainable in longer term, right? And I think that's where a lot of the people in our age or our group are, are kind of at. Um, and, you know, it's kind of time to pass the torch to the young guys who, who kind of want to kind of did what we did. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, or you can do it differently, right? Like you can be the head of international just managing those guys, like True. helping those, uh, yeah. let's say, new kids on the block that want to, go through the same experience that you went through with, let's say, Rocket Internet, right? right? Um, so, I mean, it is it is just a matter of, like, I think consciously deciding, in a way, what you want to do next or what sort of path you want to take from here. And, and man, I don't know. For me, it hasn't been easy, to be honest. Like, I don't know. If <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe for some people it's easier, but... I'm like, I could do this and I could do yeah. that. It's like sometimes there's so many options, you know? Yeah, so, so many options is not always the best thing. It makes it yeah, more existential. Exactly. And I, I know exactly what you mean. Like uh, the, the reason why I didn't stick around Shopee, you know, I was there when they were first launching Thailand before they'd launched uh, internationally. They didn't even have like logistics or anything in place. And um, I, I saw the path, man. It was like literally doing the same thing again, but it'd be exactly what you're saying. Like you'd be at, a, at an international level, you'd be helping younger guys, it'd be more strategic, you'd be less hands off. And I, uh, you know, that plus combined with the politics, I just wasn't interested in you know, recreating the rocket experience again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of shied away from it. And my, my take on this has been like, I don't know. I, I think, uh, it depends what you're looking for personally, but if you're looking for some form of success in this space, of entrepreneurship, uh, venture scaling or building, right? Returns of those, one, the odds are always against you. Um, but, you know, if it follows the power laws, it's a one in five chance. But that means you have, and it compounds over a decade or more, which means you have to keep rolling the dice. You know, you got to keep compounding that experience that you've had and you got to keep trying and hopefully making smarter and better decisions so that there's a tipping point where you actually do start succeeding and eventually within three to five to seven to 10 years, it does become exponential, yeah. right? So, uh, some people will get jaded and won't roll the dice anymore. They're like, I need my comfortable life and my salary. So then they go into these international roles. They go into yes, these expansion yes, roles, exactly. these kind of things. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of how I framed it. And part part of my exercise of Entrepreneurs of Asia, EOA, is you know just focusing on one thing and going deeper that, and kind of see how it goes. You know, If it's a hard problem, you keep solving it. Hopefully, it opens more doors. Um, yeah, but that's just yeah. my take. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How, 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 how have you been seeing it? Yeah, I mean, to be uh, to be honest, right now it's a period of um, I quit my job uh, maybe what three four months ago, and I've been I've been busy, man. I've been busy in different in many different ways. Um, I joined a incubator for physical products. So I wanted to 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 be I wanted to be able to see what it was like to launch a physical product. Um, mm. and I did that for like a couple of months, you know, take things from, uh, in a way from zero to one again, uh, but, uh, but in a different space, I've been always very passionate about like wellness and health and things like that. So I just wanted to try that out for a bit. Uh, I've been learning a lot about investing cause I, I wanted, like, I, I felt like I never had time about, um, you know, managing my, you know, the, my money and yeah. and visiting family so i i've been busy and in you can say learning more than anything right yeah 
It sounds like uh, you're you're fully in the present and you're focusing on the things that that you actually care about. Yeah, right? kind yeah, of yeah, trying we, to. We kind yeah. of blew we blew through our twenties, and I guess for you, you worked really hard through your early thirties too, right? So yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and I guess yeah. that's that's one of the takeaways is you know, and I guess that's part of you know person like the one thing we always talk about is personal growth, right? You know, and I think for you, one of those big things has been meditation. Um. Yeah, I've been. Uh, a big fan of meditation for a long time. I started when I was, I think, 22. I mentioned it in that Medium blog as well. And I think it's it's part of, like, you know, getting to know yourself, getting to uh, express yourself uh, and, and kind of being honest with, with uh, yeah, with what you're thinking, with, um, you know, being present and all, and all these sort of things. So it's, it's gonna have like a, a personal conversation, and you can do it in many different ways, right? Um, yeah. I feel like people have a lot of misconceptions about meditation, but it's definitely like super helpful whichever way you want to do it: walking, sitting, uh, you know, laying down, whatever it is. Yeah. So, I mean, for for you then, like, if if you say that, what what exactly is meditation then? Well, just what I said. Um, you know, is sort of having an honest relationship with yourself, uh, being able to express yourself, like really listening to the words that you're are inside your head, and just creating a separation between of you know those thoughts and your reaction to those thoughts. As simple as that, mm. right? Okay. Um, which it makes you a, a more like calm and relaxed and aware person, basically. And in the end, though, how, how do you know what that conversation is is actually authentic and the correct things to be thinking about then? Um, well, I think that there are some thoughts that are so repetitive at some point you start realizing, mm. is this true? You start questioning it. Um, you start seeing it just for what it is, right? For it's, mm -hmm. it's a thought. It doesn't necessarily has to be true or anything like that. Um, but you're thinking it for a reason. So you just have to like, it's, 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 a, it's a way to discover what, how you're processing information as well, right? And, and when you say there's, there's not really right or wrong to think about uh, when, okay. when you look at things, right? It's just, yeah. it's more about the, relationship okay, that exactly the relationship that you have mm. with what you're thinking okay it's, it's trying to come as close as possible to because like the way i think about conflict and people is you know there, there are two sides to the story uh people on one end people on the other end and the truth is in the middle right and ideally a, a good conversation kind of gets you closer it's never going to be the perfect truth right but i think the closer you can get to that middle i think the, the less friction there is and, and the better relationships and uh, communication happens and, and things just work out better towards, uh, I guess, common goals, right? And I guess what you're saying is meditation is almost kind of like this exercise of, of getting closer to that state, I guess? Actually, it's if, maybe if you want to put in a, a more visual um, manner, it would be sort of like you're kind of looking from the top uh, situation, right? So you're seeing mm -hmm. the entire situation below and you sort of pull yourself out of that that mm. specific event, right? So you can see it clearly. Yeah. You can see it 
a neutral way, like for yeah. what it is exactly, instead of you yeah. in the middle of like the shit show, right? Mm. Yeah. Okay. That's a good way to actually help visualize it. Yeah. Um, so how has meditation really helped contribute to your life from the early 20s till now then? What is the biggest impact? Um, well, I mean, things like exactly what I'm doing at this point, right? Uh, yeah. Really rethinking of what I want to do, what I... What is uh, what are my values? What is success for me? How do I say? Yeah. How do I see myself in like 10, 15 years? What do I want to reach? Do I really want to like bust my ass mm -hmm. and you know create my own venture? Is that very important for me? Am I doing it because of the relationship that I have with people out, outside of yeah. and in my friends or um, see, seeing their success and what they're doing? Exactly. Right? Or do I really want to do it? And if I really want to do it, then obviously you have to bust your ass or pay up a, a price for it, right? There's um, a sacrifice. Exactly. Yeah. So um, I think in a way, uh, being able to, yeah, like take myself out of, you know, or, or have like a more of a balcony view of my life then allows me to make better decisions and question myself all the time, right? Um, yeah. On a day-to-day -day basis, obviously just being calmer and um, I don't know, I put in that post, for example, eating slower. I was a very fast <laughs> eater, man. And, oh, man, I should meditate more than two. <laughs> exactly, so like small things like that will help, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just helps you be more mindful of, of just not letting the past 10 years slip by. While, while valuable and while you can reflect and reminisce and, and really enjoy those those times that were really crazy um they just happen so fast right yeah. Um, yeah and you you do miss a lot of the things that either you forgot about yourself or you don't realize about yourself and i think what, what you're kind of saying is you know if, if you kind of help one way to one way to approach it i guess there's no one right right or wrong way but you can go on this kind of journey and try different experiences or revisit things uh, and actually think about it from like you said this bird eyes view to to understand yourself better, to see what to do. And and one of the topics you actually write about in your article is um, how, how do you actually get into it, right? And, and one of the ideas you present is achievement to non-achievement, right? You, you just got to start the habit with no specific goal. Like you're, people often tie a goal to meditation and try to expect the result right away. But it's, it's not like that, right? Uh, I so mean, start, start doing it. Yeah, I think in a way, it's just a reflection of everything, right? Like if you, if you're, so much if, if if your only let's say goal is the goal right it's just to get yeah. there then you miss the entire process right and then yeah. when you get there sometimes what you like what you thought it was gonna how it was gonna feel like or what it was gonna be yeah. like is just totally different so yeah. um this the article is just about this right um yeah and yeah i just started you know writing or sharing these things because our are things that, I don't know, man, I do on a daily basis and I just thought I could share with other people. It might be interesting for some, for the ones that are starting meditation. Why are they starting meditation? For the ones that do it for, uh, I don't know, five minutes instead of 10 minutes, why are they doing it that way, right? Like, what are the expecting of, of the practice? Yeah. Um, so it's just, um, yeah, let's say small things that are worth sharing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a. I mean, relatively for your second article, got a few hundred claps, so quite quite popular on Medium, 
um, for for you know for, for producing only two articles. Uh, so I'd say it's pretty good. People have responded well to it, and I, I think it does help for anyone who's early on. So I guess we'll link the article uh, in the description. Um, but then you know this idea of achievement to non-achievement, it almost feels like there's a juxtaposition or, or uh, opposing contrast to the startup world, right? The, the point of the startup world and, and, and venture building a success and, and driving to towards that, right? So how, how do you place achievement and non-achievement in, in, in our industry and, and how people need to keep driving forward towards success? And time is so limited and precious uh, where any things could make your startup blow up, right? Startups are extremely fragile. Um, so how, how do you place that balance in the context of, of you know, existing in these, these both of these types of mindsets and worlds? Um, well, I think in a way you always have to think of the fact that, you know, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but in a way you're, you're in the process, you're in, in that whole journey because you love doing it. Right. So, I mean, I think the, some people might actually like sell their company and, um, have millions of dollars and still feel miserable. Uh, yeah. So you really have to know why you're in the game in the first place, right? Mm. Um, mm. And the other thing is, I mean, when you don't have that massive pressure on yourself, I think you're like any journey is gonna be much more enjoyable. If you don't, yeah. if you don't like it, man, then um, or you're just like you know, beating yourself up is it's just like, what's the point? Like, you just really have to ask yourself, what's the point, right? And so th- the whole point of, you know, the non-achievement is, hey, I'm here in the process, I'm, I'm loving it, I'm learning every day, and it doesn't matter what, what happens today, if I sell it for like 5 million or 10 million, I'm, 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 I'm gonna be cool with it, you know? Yeah. Definitely. Okay, so since we're on this topic and section, um, let's talk about some more personal things. Uh, what, what are you currently reading, uh, and what are what are maybe one of your top recommendations for reading for this current year? Um, so I'm I'm reading this book called Bitcoin Standard, which mm. um, to be honest, I forgot who the author was, but maybe we can look it up later on. Um, yeah. Um, but like I said, I, one of the things that I wanted to learn was more about, you know, investment and why Bitcoin, like I was really curious about the fact that, uh, like something like Bitcoin was showing up. And if I was going to invest in it, um, like I wanted to understand a little bit about the technology. Right. Um, so I started uh, reading this book, which the funny thing is, um, you know, the book doesn't even really talk about Bitcoin, but until the end, the guy guides you through an entire process of like, um, let's say the development of money throughout history um, yeah. and the monetary system and some of the flaws and some of the scary things that are happening at this point. Um, and then obviously arrives then, right? So mm-hmm. it actually has been really eye-opening and um, really cool, cool book. I yeah, I can just share the the specifics later on. 
Sure, definitely. I think I think that's something we'll talk about uh, maybe later on because I, I saw you also got a few certifications for Bitcoin, something you've been very interested in. <laughs> yes, so that's what I'm saying. I I'm trying to learn about that technology because obviously um, I think you should definitely know what what you're investing on. Yeah. So I guess for the last question for the section is, you know, since you've grown a lot from the early 20s to the late 30s, what are some things that the, the younger guys should be looking out for that, that you maybe regret or something you should have focused more on when, when you were younger? Um, huh. um, I think one of the principles that I like a lot is how you do anything is how you do everything. I think that's one of the things that I have learned um, throughout my, let's say, my time with, you know, uh, either like professionally or personally. I think that's, that would be one of, uh, let's say, yes, I call it like a principle to, to tell a younger person, maybe uh, sometimes focus on, on less things and, and, but do the, the few things a lot better. So, yeah. Uh, I'm a, I'm a, let's say, big believer on essentialism and and what that brings. Um, and um, yeah, uh, let's just keep it at two for now. <laughs> okay, so just uh, keep it really focused. Uh, focus on the essentials, and uh, that should hopefully guide uh, people in their earlier stages, I guess. Exactly. Okay, uh, so let's. I want to talk about a little bit more about your background. I, I don't know the full story. You are American, but you're Colombian. I at this point, I probably want to call you Asian as well. <laughs> uh, so, what, what exactly is the background, and how do you identify yourself? Okay, so let's start by. I'll give you my full name. How about that? Right. Yeah, I'll do that. Daniel Eduardo Torres Danilchenko. So. Ooh. My, my dad is Colombian. My mom is Russian. I grew up in Bogota. Um, I moved out of, so I finished school and I moved out of Colombia to um, the US, to San Francisco specifically, because my, my dad lived there. Um, and yeah, I mean, through, let's say, Rocket Internet and the whole startup scene, I started traveling Argentina, Philippines, and all over the place. And at this point, I would consider I've been seven years in Asia. So yes, I have um, much love for for Southeast Asia yes. at this point. You know. Yeah. So in your heart, though, uh, fully Colombian. Uh, you you call yourself Daniel, not Danielle. Uh, is that uh, are you American too, or, or what, what exactly are you identifying yourself as? Well, the funny thing is, when I moved to the states and I I knew very little English at that point, um, mm. I I told one person, "Hey, my name is Daniel," and they were like, yeah. "Man, Daniel is a girl." So from that point, <laughs> I just made it easier for everyone, and I said, "Daniel." Daniel. Yeah. Okay. So you you let Americans destroy your culture and your name. <laughs> Sorry, man. I think that Daniel is more international, anyways, right? That's, that's probably. Yeah, I guess yeah. that's probably true because of American soft culture, right? And it will save me some um, time, you know. That's true. That's How do you true. spell that? But, uh, uh, so, but do do you feel like a minority everywhere you go, or or where do you feel you blend in the best? Um. 
I, you know, it was impressive the, the way that I, when I arrived to the Philippines, how similar the cultures were with um, Latin America in general. Like mm. I didn't have any culture shock or any friction, like leading the team mm. in, in that sense. So that was, really? yeah, that was impressive. That's, that's actually quite interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in a way, like obviously when, when you, when you're in the US, they usually ask you where you're from. Obviously there's some accent there. Um, yeah. not so much in, in Asia people, I don't know, sometimes people just think I'm, I'm from the U S and I always say I'm Colombian. <laughs> so, you, yeah. okay. So you identify more as Colombian in Colombian and yeah, definitely. I think it, in a way, Asia is just easier <laughs> in many yeah, ways. Yeah, like yeah. you don't feel as a minority basically. Yeah. Okay. So then. That must have been interesting. If your heart is Colombian, and of course, not now later on, you can uh, kind of appreciate Asia and the culture and be a part of it. Um, but you grew up in San Fran as well, right? I grew up where? In San Fran as well. Oh, uh, I guess yeah, I'm yeah. Right. I mean, when I I I finished university here, and yeah, let's say in San Francisco. I'm currently in Seattle, um, and that's where actually I got connected to startups technology that's where i think my tech tech profession started right i my first job was with actually i don't think i have this on my linkedin so you probably don't know it but my my first internship was with um, the marketing team uh with a company called imeme and they were a music social media network so they were the, basically the competitors of, of MySpace. They were the first mm-hmm. social network that signed all the labels, uh, the music labels, and they were able to str- yeah. full stream songs at that time. Wow. Because you, you rem- if you remember the times of Napster, they used to chop yeah, the songs yeah. 30 <laughs> seconds and all this stuff if they had the right. So yeah. the whole, I mean, it started exploring. I think they had like 2 million people um, at that point. Uh, because people could full stream music and they could create playlists and share and so on. So that was a, a big deal. And it, that's where I, that's where I started. So it sounds like you were definitely, you bought into the whole Silicon Valley culture then. I mean, it's, it's, it's something you can't escape. Like if in New York you're doing finance or law, if you're in DC, you're probably doing, you know, politics or law. Right. And of course, if you're in Silicon Valley, you're probably doing tech. So, it sounds like, you know, uh, going to university there, University of San Francisco, right? Um, you bought into the whole world and you kind of got interested in tech that way? Yeah, 100%. I think uh, that internship specifically, you know, they were developing the first Android app, you know, for yeah. for their users. And, I mean, those were the times that, Basically, I don't know. I feel like mobile started like blowing up. The first iPhone what, came what out. What year was this? This was 2000. Man, this was what? Maybe 2005. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, um, before. That's around the first time, the first yeah, iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, man, everyone, like I saw the excitement all around. Then I joined Nimbus, the, the next company, and I was also. Uh, in like multi-messaging communications app and we used to go to like all the events Mm. in Silicon Valley right people were just like building and building and building like it was unbelievable right and I just saw like 
man, I mean, you see the passion of entrepreneurs and all these events and everyone talking about yeah. what they were building and so on. So, yeah, obviously, you're day in, day out in that kind of atmosphere. Yeah. Like, it, it rubs all over you. Yeah, so you definitely were brainwashed into it. And <laughs> so you, you joined Nimbus and you were iMeme. And what, what happened? Why, why did you join Deutsche Telekom, which is essentially T-Mobile for America or T-Systems across the world, I think? Yeah, One so... Of the largest telecom company in uh, Germany, right? So the idea there was that after Nimbus... Um, Let's say Nimbus was this multi-messenger app, right? They were trying to compete with yeah. Skype. They were adding like MSN and all these chats in, in, in one list. Um, yeah. And WhatsApp and, and Viber were also coming up. So they were the, like the big players mm. at that time. Like they were taking a lot. I mean, all these, uh, let's say, third-party or alternatives, they were taking money out of the telcos. So... Mm. Um, I spoke with Deutsche Telekom and they were starting a business unit where um, like the whole project was about creating a WhatsApp, you know, like creating this uh, yeah. type of services to, let's say, gain some of those users back. Um, yeah. And I mean, I just, I, I was just like feeling right. I, I loved it because obviously it was with a strong company, right? Uh, yeah. We had all the money in the world in a way to like deploy this this uh, um, new service and and it just made a lot of sense. I mean, I, I was a couple of years with Nimbus trying to like uh, yeah. open up the market in the US. So so yeah, that's why I joined them. And Nimbus exactly what did they do? So Nimbus is the multi messenger app. So they had so they had the multi messenger app and they had the voice over IP. So they were very similar to Skype, yeah. if you can call yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. So you uh, was Nimbus very big? Did they have a lot of resources? Man, they were they were quite big. I don't remember the the funding that we had at that time, but um, we we were huge in India, Southeast Asia. Mm. Um, basically everywhere but uh, outside of the U.S. So what these yeah. guys were trying to do was actually penetrate the market in the U.S., like really understanding the features, you know, like mm -hmm. what was it that the U.S. market wanted. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was it was actually a, a very big operation. It was a big operation, but I guess compared to Deutsche Telekom, uh, was it more corporate? Uh, was there any frictions, anything that you didn't like? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm... In a way, when I joined Deutsche Telekom, even if they were trying to run this project as a small unit, all the decisions were managed by mm. the Germans, and you know it was it, it <laughs> wasn't as flexible as you would hope, right? Like it was going to be yeah. this independent project, and ended up being like a lot of nothing. Um, okay, okay. So, so we, the the typical case where a big corporate didn't have a strong owner to the top, which would have to be the CEO exactly. of the board. Right? Exactly. And exactly. so so they, they had this initiative and idea to kind of keep up with the buzz, exactly. uh, but the innovation wasn't handled very well. Exactly. Exactly that. And so, so so you decided to trade one German master for another then, I guess. Man, my, you know, the funny <laughs> thing is I've been, uh, you know, like so fan of, of German uh, companies because at Nimbus, my direct boss was a German guy as well. So, you know, oh, then wow. I, then okay. I jumped to Deutsche Telekom, then Rocket Internet, right? 
And the yeah. rocket internet part was actually really, really cool in the sense that, I mean, it was a totally different type of operation. It was outside of the US, so like the execution was yeah. very different, right? Like Nimbus was very online. I mean, obviously everyone in Silicon Valley has the latest gadget, you know, they uh, like really good internet and so on, right? Like, in, and when you get outside of the US and you go to like a third world, country and so on, like obviously the, the type of operations that you have to do is uh, completely different, right? So you go yeah. into rocket internet and Argentina and then you're teaching drivers, you're at gas stations, just teaching drivers how to use the app and, you know, like, yeah. that, I mean, you know the drill. So um, that I was... Mean, a, I completely forgot about that. So uh, how, how did... so? You, I mean, like you were totally bought into the idea of Silicon Valley, and, and you were excited and you loved it. Um, what made you want to leave then, right? Like it, it seems like what, what what was your idea of Rocket Internet back then, and, and what was so compelling? And I think your first stop was Argentina, right, for Easy Taxi. Yeah, I mean, I think there were a couple of things. I was already like seven years in in the U.S. Um, San Francisco can get a bit small, to be honest, um, mm. and. I mean, I had, I always had a passion for like cultures and traveling and, you know, mm, okay. visiting different places. And I also wanted to get some experience outside of the U.S., right? I mean, if there was an opportunity for me um, of like building a, a venture from the start, then that was actually very, very compelling. I, mean, I You could I, have done that from San Francisco though, right? Um. Yes and no. I mean, I think it was just the right timing, to be honest. Yeah. Like I was a bit, like I said, I was a bit tired of, of uh, San Francisco and you know the events and all this sort of thing, and um, what, I just gave it a okay. try. But what were you okay? So what are the good aspects? What are the bad aspects? Like it sounds like there must have been something wearing your soul down uh, that uh, either not a good fit personally or. Uh, there's a characteristic about San Francisco. Like, what, what what are the bad aspects that you know makes people want to leave? I mean, they say the average person in San Francisco lives about five years. You know, is it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because either you move to like Berkeley, Oakland, you find like a cheaper place, you know, yeah. uh, somewhere easier to pay rent. So I think those aspects take into into account. Um, a lot of my friends actually left as well. So a lot of people that went to Berkeley and so on graduated and left. So I think those, I mean, I, I'm thinking probably some of those aspects made a big influence as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it just feels like um, if you're not making it in a city, it, uh, it could be very hard. It sounds like. Yeah, man. I mean, it's, if, I mean, you have to have a, a proper, <laughs> It's called a proper yeah. job in the city if you want to maintain that sort yeah. of lifestyle, yeah. yeah. And essentially that means you're bonded to a middle-class salary probably. And a middle-class salary in, in, in San Francisco probably doesn't go very far. <laughs> I mean, I lived through like, you know, like a boom of, uh, let's say, uh, jobs like Google was really strong mm -hmm. in San Francisco, Facebook. All these, I mean, my, my roommate was uh, working for Square, the payment platform, yeah. right? Man, and these guys were making like six digits e easily, right? Um, yeah. So 
at some point San Francisco just started like the rent just started to like take off yeah. and and yeah I mean it, it was I think a lot of people were just leaving to pay a cool apartment in the city um, and, and so, so I mean that means you you lived through pretty much the very early days before the resurgence big boom the, you know of big money VCs unicorns until now and, and recently you visited back in 2020 uh, from Asia back to San Fran to visit family Um what what are the big changes and differences you're seeing from when you were young, as a, you know, a young person coming from Colombia to San Francisco now as an adult? I mean, I think it's in a way it's unfair to compare those times because obviously the pandemic. I I I came in a time of of like a lot of trouble here, right? Uh, in terms, of if, <laughs> if, well, what if you're talking? One can argue that it's, if you're talking politically. Yeah. Speaking, yeah. uh, I mean, in general, it's just like very messy, right? Uh, for yeah. not just for San Francisco, for the U.S. I saw a lot of poverty, to be honest. There's a lot of mm. homeless. Um, I mean, San Francisco. What I remember, they had a very, uh, they had a, like a very generous program with homeless people. So I think a lot of people moved here. Um, mm. And I, in a way, I think we had a lot of that, but I, I feel like. You know, it has gotten bigger. It's and worse. I, yeah, and I don't know if that's like, let's say the, you know, in a way the class is actually like going down even more, and people like in more financial trouble than before, or, yeah. or is it just that I don't know they move from somewhere and like they just got here because I mean to be honest, it's a very expensive place to, to be a, a homeless yeah. for everything, right? I think you're probably one of the more qualified people to actually make a call on this because you actually lived early, very early days and as a kid and, and you have family there and as an adult you're visiting. Um, like on, on, on podcasts and media, you'll always hear a lot of these really wealthy people based in Silicon Valley complaining of how bad it is, right? Is, is it just, you know, first world problems or are we talking actual really bad problems that, that, uh, that need to be addressed and, and this really is crumbling? How bad it is in what sense? In in the sense of like in general? Uh, I mean, in general, they do talk about the poverty. They talk about the politics. They talk about the infrastructure. They talk about a lot of things, right? It's just, you just hear nonstop complaining about people from San Francisco about how bad San Francisco is. But like as a tourist, when you visit, it seems great, right? <laughs> um, so I, what I'm saying is you could have a different view of this, uh, you know, given your, your history and experience. I mean, I don't think you can say it's like, I don't know, so bad or so crappy uh, compared, I don't know, I lived in a lot of places and they have much more <laughs> traffic and I don't know, w let's say worse infrastructure and things like that. But yeah. I, I, I do feel like it's, it's, you know, it's uh, you can tell when a place is not uh, progressing, but Kind of going yeah. going backwards, and I think yeah. I, yeah, I saw a bit of that, right? So you're at that place, yeah, exactly. Despite despite the huge amount of wealth and huge amount of talent, right? No no one is actually solving social problems uh, that that could actually make better lives for everyone. Then I guess. Well, I just think there. I mean, San Francisco, California is just part of like 
a bigger machine, right? And if the whole machine yeah. is not working, then I don't know. I mean, at, at some point, I even heard of people like saying that uh, California wanted to be its own state, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Like it could be like its own, its own uh, country. country, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I just, I just think the whole, the whole country is, it, it is like going through some serious changes, man. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you could probably definitely feel it being back there. Um, uh, so let's let's move back to your story then. Like, how exactly did you find the opportunity for Argentina with Easy Taxi and Rocket Internet? Like, how does that happen? So I was I was working for Deutsche Telekom. So I was mostly on like, um, let's say you, yeah, I was I was in marketing mostly, and you know my friend Jaime, right? The guy that yeah yeah Jaime yeah Jaime Aparicio. He was he actually yeah. flew down to Argentina because he was getting married or or something, uh, so something personal, and he found the opportunity there. Uh, he was building oh, the okay. team and. He said, you know, there, there is the opportunity to, to build this. We need someone to help us on the demand side of things. And I, yeah. I took the call. Okay. So Got in, your friend Jaime, he's, Jaime's from U.S. as well? Or? So Jaime is Mexican. Uh, originally, okay. he went to Berkeley. And, uh, I see, I see. Yeah. Okay, so then he, he was just down there. Just like most rocket stories, you're in the right place at the right time. They kind of pick you up when they're growing big, right? Exactly. Uh, and then so he sucked you in, and then um, you're here. You are in Argentina, where you've never been before. Never. I mean, I'm South America, but it felt like a like I said, I had more culture shock going to Argentina than going to the <laughs> Philippines. <laughs> That's pretty wild. Yeah. Um. um so, so uh, was Argentina the country where the the mafia was involved in a taxi, or is that Venezuela? I mean, I would say in South America, like probably half the country. The whole thing, issue. yeah, exactly. But yeah, it was okay. the case. Yeah. Uh, what, what, so, what was the experience like uh, scaling Argentina versus uh, Philippines? Well, it was just different stages as well. I mean, I don't think yeah. you can compare one to one. Uh, Argentina was a much earlier operation. We didn't have the the monster that Grab was either, um, yeah. which that added a lot of pressure, obviously. Um, and man, I think that we were just learning a lot. Like it, it, there wasn't a playbook just yet, right? There yeah. wasn't any. Um, I mean, yes, Brazil was kind of doing the right things because obviously they already they knew some stuff already, but. Yeah. At that time, there wasn't the same, let's say, let's call it a singularity of or um, the, yeah. unif the unification of all the countries in South America. Right. So yeah. I remember like CEO Gustavo used to go there and be like, OK, you know, like you guys are doing this. Maybe I'll just tell the, the guys in, in uh, Venezuela <laughs> they might use this. And it yeah. was kind of like that. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that sort of communication was being established and we were just learning every day. We try a lot of different things. You know, we put posters in like bathrooms. Uh, we, um, we were handing out flyers like at night and stuff like that. So it was a lot of like just throw, throw spaghetti against the wall and see what sticks. See what sticks. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, it definitely was a lot of that in, in Asia as well. And, yeah. 
Um, yeah, I, I remember those those early days uh, when we were just launching Asia as well. And I mean, yeah, no one knew what they were doing. Um, and, you know, I, I even spoke to Gojek uh, two years ago and uh, for an international role. And they also even two years ago did was it even like maybe less than two years. They don't they didn't even have a playbook either. You know, part of the job was coming in to help, you know, strategize and figure out how to scale and do it the right way. And so I think a lot of people don't realize that even though when you raise money, people just don't really know what to do. And I think Uber maybe did it very well because they hired a lot of rocket people and, um, at least outside of America. And, and they, they, they kind of saw how they were handling scaling this kind of sense. And parts of the DNA were probably there too, you know, so it's definitely a very different thing when you want to scale big and fast and, and trying to figure out a playbook. And it's, it's not so straightforward, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one of the biggest issues that people have is trying to scale and create that playbook at the same time, right? Because which one do you prioritize? It feels like yeah. the, it feels like the playbook is going to slow you down, uh, but it feels like if you don't have a playbook, then uh, you're going to be like you're always going to be starting from zero everywhere. So that's like the perfect segue because um, after. After Easy Taxi, you were in Philippines, right? And then I think you were approached by Xylem, which was, this was at the peak and boom of like logistics when everyone was throwing money in logistics like five to seven years ago. Yeah. Right. And um, they wanted to scale regionally. And then also later on after Xylem, you joined Edigo, which also had raised money, I think, either before or during your time there and wanted to scale regionally. And even your most latest venture, Circles Life from Singapore, <laughs> wanted to scale regionally and you went to australia to scale regionally right so speaking of playbooks and in the context of these companies uh like i don't know what what did you have to build a playbook what was uh what was the the story did they have playbooks in place or how did you go about you know launching all of these ventures um i mean if if i start with let's say with edigo Uh, so for first what is edigo so Edigo is a reservation, a restaurant reservation platform. Um, they offer discounts based on on time. Yeah. Um, so it depends the time you go during the day. It's, it's like a yield management for restaurants, basically an agoda yeah. for for restaurants. Um, I mean, there were some principles already, obviously, of uh, some principles that I already had in mind, like, you know, for hiring, uh, taking a long time to hire, just make sure you hire the best people, um, was I think, uh, a, a key, a key aspect of, yeah. of the launch in, in, in the Philippines. Right. Um, I think that was something that actually came from, from uh, rocket internet, um, hire slow, fire fast, up a model um <laughs> well i mean maybe, maybe later wisdom but but early early rocket was higher fast fire fast yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's true yeah. um yeah. i think the analytical side of things uh, meaning making sure that you're tracking everything that you're doing right mm. sort of like if you deploy something track it then you know you make changes based on on data and so on i think that also came out of out of rocket internet so Actually, in a way, those those let's say core areas I I use for every every aspect of all the other companies. So it was actually a very good foundation. If 
if you ask me. Mm-hmm. Um, um, uh, let's let's see for Circles Life, which is a neo telco. Um, we were able to create what exactly a, is that a neo telco, so like a challenger telco, they call it. Okay, so they they call it a challenger telco, but say a, a, a regular consumer, what does that mean to them? Um, so let's say you you have the all telcos or the big telcos, the big mm-hmm. telecommunication companies, right? Such as Singtel uh, and so on, and you buy the bandwidth from them and you create a new brand, a new brand with better terms and conditions, better pricing, uh, much better customer experience and so on. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So with these guys, we're actually able to create a, an entire playbook. And um, one of the main things uh, was to be able to deploy. I mean, man, Telco is a m- much bigger monster than, I don't know, this marketplace, right? You have regulatory yeah. aspects, you have like the product, I mean, the relationship with uh, the telcos because obviously you're buying bandwidth from them and so on. Um, and, and and one of the things that we're, we were able to implement was just the the ability to launch really fast, the, the most agile way possible, very lean yeah. in all the markets. Um, with, I mean, saving money, saving costs, uh, time, and so on, right? Uh, so that was that was uh, some of the things, like one of the few things that we had to bring back from uh, the rocket internet uh, times as well, which was, you know, doesn't have to be perfect. How do we launch in a new country in a very a much leaner, uh, much leaner way? Yeah. So, Does, so what? What goes into the development of that that playbook then? Is like you're sitting down with the founders, and or is it like completely on you? Uh, how do you decide what goes into it? How does it get put together? And then how do you distribute it? <laughs> well, you can. I don't know if I can curse here, but you have to fuck it up first, right? In a way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you kind of have to do because obviously I wasn't from a telco background, so I go launch, I hire a full team, and so on, and then you're like, man. <laughs> First, this is so expensive. <laughs> this is so slow. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, take, it took me like eight months in Australia to launch the thing. Um, wow. And I don't what, know. What did, did it take so long? I don't know if it was long, to be honest. I think for me, it was like super fast to launch a telco within yeah. that amount of time. But definitely it was expensive because obviously you're learning all, all these regulatory processes and, and so on. I see. Right? I see. Um, do, do you need like customer service in every single country, mm. for example? Do you need like a country manager? Yes or no? Uh, what mm. sort of things can be centralized? So those things, I think once you deploy them and then you work through them, then in a way, yes, you have to fuck up some things in order to like implement those things into the playbook eventually. Okay, so essentially what you're saying is you need a successful test case somewhere and you take the best learnings and the worst learnings and then you optimize to best practices into, I guess, a, a, I don't know, a deck or, you know, a manual or whatever, right? Yeah, um, you but, won't. But if you don't go through that process, you can't do it. Exactly. You won't be able to know everything, but you have like, it's just like 
put in layers, right? Like there's some layers that yeah. there's some things that you don't mess up anymore because obviously you're learning from the past, hopefully, right? Um, yeah. But obviously there are things on top of that, either because of the country, either because of the industry, either because of whatever it is, the team that obviously you can only learn at the time of actually the execution. Yeah. And I think the interesting thing is for, for early, early rock internet, that layer was just Oliver somewhere himself. It was just like one man for hundreds of countries and cities around the world. And he was that layer until a certain point. And then he structured the regional team and that regional team then would take a deeper dive and then combine it to a, a playbook and then further distributed to other launches and other regions around the world, right? Exactly. Um, I mean, that was their ultimate goal, right? For Rocket Internet, it was just like, have that massive playbook with, it doesn't matter the industry. Man, we already know exactly where, like, how we're going to execute. See, because he had like a really macro view, right? Yeah, yeah. And it had to come from the top, right? At least the first initial layers. where he probably had done it himself so many times that he was just an expert. And I think that's the important thing as a founder then. You know, if you're a founder and you've actually gotten to the point where one country is massively successful, profitable, or at least exponential growth, you have to been had driving that growth and better know how it works to see what's right or wrong for the next country. And then then I guess you could scale your playbook from there, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then what do you think about the actual like when you were thinking about joining Circle's life? What do you think about the value proposition? Like what, in my mind, if I heard that proposition, I would think eventually the telcos would just be like, oh, I could just price it cheaper, take away your margin and then cut you out. Like, why should I give you more bandwidth when I could probably get the same user base if I just lower my prices, right? Not necessarily. Um, So you have to understand, I mean, I saw... If you see different industries, you see like what happened to the insurance industry, what happened to the financial industry, right? Like banks and so on. I think in a similar way, telcos were going through the same disruption, right? Um, the fact that these are monsters that any any change is actually really hard to do for them, right? Yeah. Like, if you, as a, as a user, you're going to sign up for a telco and then you have like the two year contract, right? And then yeah. you have this like legal agreement that is like a thousand pages and, you know, the small letters and all this sort of thing. It's, it's, it's not a something that they can just like, hey, you know, we're just going to mm-hmm. cut prices and then everything's going to change, right? Because they're also afraid of losing what they have. Their biggest value is like these two year contracts, right? Like selling phones and having people like be there for the longest yeah. time. So, but they, so I just saw in a way like the same, the same idea happening in all this, you know, insurance and, and, yeah. and the financial markets. Um, and I, I just thought it was really, really freaking interesting. I, I really like mm. it. You know, that disruption is like if you, if you know about insurance, it's, it's an industry that hasn't been changed or it wasn't changed for like, I don't know, 110 years or something along those lines. Yeah. You know? um, so they were like asking for to be disrupted for already. Um, yeah. So that part, I that part was very interesting, and and it made a lot of sense. And I mean, for if you think for the telcos, they don't care if you're directly the user. I mean, they care that they have they're using your your pipes in a way, right? 
yeah. it could be yes i mean you might might get a a bit less revenue but you also might steal from the other telcos as well using yeah. this like neo telco exactly yeah. man exactly the same as like neo banks the infrastructure neo yeah is the, yeah. the infrastructure is from uh the let's say the giants but the face is is this revolutes and and uh the rest and 26 and so on so 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 what's exactly happening now is, is this really true disruption or uh is this just going to fail because you 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 know at the end of the day you're you're captured to their infrastructure you can't grow be, you can't grow beyond that right so there's some dependency yeah. yeah 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 so, so there's some dependency so, i mean does this does this not scale the way we think it scales or disrupt it not in a way that we think so or what's the idea here um I, see that's a hard question man like I've been looking at neobanks and what they really offer. And I, I, I don't know, like, do you use, as yourself, do you use Revolut all the time? Do you use these neobanks? Like, are these fees, like, from the all uh, banks are bothering you that much? Uh, would you be willing to put $20,000 into a Revolut account, for example? Are their yeah. benefits good enough? Right. Because, yeah. man, if that's the case, then I think in a way like crypto and, and Bitcoin, that's a much more uh, disruption than just putting another brand on in front of you. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I could argue this for, for the insurance kind of thing you talked about. Right. Because I yeah. talk about insurance a lot with one of my friends. Uh, the first guest we had, he, he's doing like kind of a insert tech kind of ambitions um, and. The one difference is that if you do make a vastly better user experience for insurance, I, I think that, that is a pretty big value proposition to be had. Uh, right now, claims and the under, general understanding of millennials not very good of what insurance does and why you should get insurance and, and just making it accessible and easy. Uh, if you if you re, you know really improve the experience in terms of the claims process and actually making it uh, so that it actually works for both sides, the insurers and the consumer. Um, you know, layering a, a tech thing where it's, you know, digital, I think makes a lot of sense. I'm not too sure about banks. Um, if you, I think there's going to be a tipping point of mass adoption where it does, uh, make sense. You just kind of need those early adopters and then you have to just make it really, really convenient. But at the end of the day, if it's a licensed bank from the regulators and it's literally no different, I don't have to go to the bank. I don't see why personally I wouldn't, but you know, um, it, it's just like that. It's it's like the same problems in Malaysia with the current payment infrastructure system, uh, and same in the U.S. Why U.S. adopted technology so late for credit card chips, right? You already have, the problem's already solved, and it's just so easy. Like you know, I don't need to use your mobile wallet because I already have a credit card, and everyone has a POS, right? Uh, you're not really solving, and the value incremental gain of value is not much. So it just takes 10x more effort to make it way better the experience. For people to actually use it, and then of course, then it comes a matter of you know will it be fragmented or unified? And uh, ideally, for payments, you know, I think we'll have to be unified. Probably same for banking, right? But it's 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 just a matter of of infrastructure missing for you to build up to that point. I think. Um, but then, what were we talking about? We were talking about telecom, right? Yeah, telecom. I uh, yeah, I, I don't know. It's not not my domain. I I I, I that one a little bit more skeptical. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. I feel unless you're telling me yeah, a neo bank is just you know the bank should just do it themselves. It's the same argument. If you're just using the infrastructure of the bank and their license, it makes sense. But if you have got your own license, I think it's more compelling, right? Uh, maybe same for for a telecom. Then you know you would have to like get to the point where you get so much scale, based so much money that you could become your own telecom. Then I think the value proposition makes sense. Then you could build a better experience. Real. Then you removed all that other infrastructure. Well, no matter what telecom, you're still tied to the infrastructure, right? You, you need the physical towers. Like I don't think you can escape that. So I'm a little bit more skeptical, I guess, on that sense. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think it's a. Don't get me wrong. I think it's a positive uh, change and disruption. What this definitely what these well, industries I, are going through, right? Um, I just I think, don't know um, how. The, go ahead, go ahead. I mean, the one thing like that is, I think, happening though is that be, because of Circle's life, I think Singaporean telcos did have to adjust, right? That's what I heard. Yeah, yeah, for sure. There, there, there was pressure. There was actual pressure to improve services and experiences. Uh, so they did actually react, right? But that, that, but I mean, if if a telco is reacting to a neo telco using their infrastructure. Doesn't that put pressure on Circle's life as well then? Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I think the the fact that the the big monopoly is facing some some competition, then it it helps improve services and turns for everyone, right? Um, yeah. But yes, I, I think in a way, like now that these guys are going to make changes, um, how is Circle's life going to also make sure yeah. that they're like moving forward as fast as possible, so these guys don't just don't yeah. eat them up, right? Um, yeah. So then I guess um, I don't know uh, for for all those companies you help scale regionally. They they all raised money. They were able to convince some people from Xylem to Edigo to Circles Life. Uh, would you consider them as successes? Are they still around? Do you see them as failures, or how are you framing this? You mean personal success or success as in the company? Both. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, I think as a as a person from a personal level, I think it's it was definitely a success. I I think I man I I love the fact that I learned from so many markets and so many different industries. Like you said, like you start building this playbook, right? Um, yeah. And certain framework. So I, I I think from all these experiences, um, I I feel very confident on like scaling or launching a brand new project Um, from their point of view I mean man Circle's life raised quite a a large amount of capital and I think I think it's going to be a long fight I I don't think you can call it I don't know like it depends what you call success right Uh, obviously they're like four or five countries already they have like 500 Mm. people I mean, some people don't even get to pass the two co-founders in like a small team, right? Yeah, true. So yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It just depends where you, where you look at it from. But I I think they're doing really well. Um, they have a lot of potential. They obviously yeah. they they see the problem. They were able to convince someone that there is actually a problem and a potential yeah. uh, to disrupt a market. So yeah, that's you can call it success. In in the case for Edigo Asylum. Um, so Xylem, they, they had to pivot basically from a yeah. services company to a software company. And um, they, in a way, they had to start all over again. But what I give yeah. 
Xylem is the fact that they, man, they've been like fighting like tigers out there for the longest time. I think it's been six, seven years, right? And that's what I'm saying, man. You, you really have to know that shows that you really have to know why you're there because it's it's not a straight line. So yeah, yeah, you could call it success. And Idigo, I mean, Idigo was able. I think it's a beautiful model uh, in general. I think, uh, you know, mm-hmm. if you ask them, they're like, uh, we reach prof- profitability within six months. Um, like the model was very well, it, it wasn't one of those models that, hey, we'll, we'll make money later, right? From the beginning, yeah. they started making some money. I mean, basically what the rest of the world is missing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but I think obviously their their model is, might be a bit soft and, 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 and they need they need like faster innovation because now you have Grab or Lala Move mm. and all these big guys and you know if, if they launch uh, discounts then then what's gonna happen to them? Game over, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. so so Xylem started as a uh, last mile delivery company and they, they pivoted into more software service for a specific SaaS. niche. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, a SaaS company. Uh, and then uh, I think I like what you said about that is that I think most founders or people getting into the space they don't realize is that it's, you know, product market fit. If you don't have this strong understanding or conviction or you know this, like you don't know that pain point right away, you're going to flounder for a while for many years and mm-hmm. you're going to raise money, you're going to lose that money. And so, you know, you it's either, you know, you're, you're comfortable with that and sometimes people get lucky, you know, they'll, they'll hit it. Uh, and they, they, they think they can solve a problem. They actually find something along the way. Uh, other people still will you know, take time to what, – what happens is you have to find profitability faster because no one's going to give you money anymore, right? Uh, the thing with Edigo is the other way around. They were making money. They got traction. They raised money. They did scale. But the problem is uh, if you don't innovate fast enough or keep up, you know – the world around you, the macro picture, especially the food world, man, like food is still, it's crazy how insane relevant food is today. It's just like, it just doesn't make sense. Like food was like something, the first thing rocket internet came in and solved. Uh, I guess they didn't do it well enough, right? I mean, Food Panda is still around. They even yeah. IPO'd food around the world. They have Blue yeah. Apron in New York. I mean, sorry, in, in uh, US, right? Uh, food's massive. Um, there is, is yet, yet still today, it's still a dominating theme for these platforms because it generates cash and it's still a real a real thing, right? So, um, so but I think, you know, regardless, you know, very, very good context to learn from your experiences from, from, you know, Xylem, Edigo, and Circle's life. Um, so Daniel, then, I, I guess, then, uh, what's, what's next for you then? Uh, we, we talked about it a little bit. Is there anything more concrete you could point us to? Or uh, is that like something that we shouldn't be worried about? Like we shouldn't pressure it, pressure you to think about? Or Look, uh, I, I'm trying to make two decisions at this point, right? Um, one is yeah. where exactly I'm I'm gonna live, because that that was the thing we were talking about. Like, hey, when you have too many options, then where yeah. you decide, right? And yeah, uh, yeah, man. The, I guess the other one is, uh, what am I gonna do? Like, what exactly is a project long term? I mean, thinking five, ten years that uh, I wanna be involved in, right? Do I? Yeah. I mean, we have those choices of like. Do I start something or do I join another project and and so on? Uh, I would like to make it a more. Um, I would like to start like building some roots somewhere, right? And and I think yeah. we spoke about this before. And 
And yeah, that's why I'm, I'm just taking my time a bit more, visiting family, all these sort of things. I mean, I haven't been in the U.S. I haven't seen family for like four years, so uh, just enjoying that time. But yeah, those, those yeah. two things are the things that I'm trying to decide at this point. So, so given the chaos in the U.S., is, is that lower on the list, higher in the list? Is it? Do you feel nice being back in the U.S.? Like for me, like I, I really want to know because you know I, I've been away so long, especially with COVID, it's, it's making it even longer, right? And, and when I go back, it's just like a short visit. Um, what, what are your thoughts around living in the U.S.? Is your heart still in Latin America? Do you want to come back to Asia? You know, I, I created this whole like chart of stuff and mind maps <laughs> to like make yeah. the decision. Um, but, you know, I think, uh, I mean, U.S. is still a, a possibility, right? But it's okay. not my first option, I would say. Yes. I mean, yeah. Okay. So then uh, I'm guessing Asia or Latin America then. Yeah, I'm, I'm more towards Asia. Yeah. More towards Asia. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm sure you have family and friends also in Latin America, and it's a very exciting scene. Uh, one of my friends in Malaysia from Peru, he, he moved back. He was in Malaysia for a long time, you know, doing digital banking. He was with Rocket Internet as well. Uh, but he moved back to Peru. Um, uh, but I mean, like, it's, it's exciting, right? You, you don't feel as compelled there? Well, I, yeah, I, in a way, like, I feel like I left, uh, that town 15 years ago already, almost 20, imagine. Oh, so, okay. um, yeah. maybe a, a bit more separate from that already. Yeah. And, um, yeah, man, I, I think, uh, in terms of like, if I, if I think of, let's say a market that is developing like super fast, I, I just feel yeah. a lot of conviction in Asia. Right. Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah, you're right. Latam is also, but yeah, for some reason, uh, because I've been living also seven years in Asia now, then I just feel closer to it. Well, I, I welcome you to Malaysia. Uh, awesome. I'll be here for at least a little bit longer. I, I don't know where, where we go, but uh, you, you can come here. We could do ventures together in US and Asia together then. Sounds good, man. I mean, I'm very excited <laughs> about your uh, the podcast and you know where you're taking it. Really cool to see you doing this. And you know, like I, I hear nice. a, a few of them, and obviously it's, it's also bringing some good memories. So it's cool, man. Yeah, definitely. It's been definitely a pleasure. So before we wrap up, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, jobs, work, should people contact you for something? Uh, you're looking for partners or ideas or money? I'll keep everyone posted. How about that? Maybe we'll make a, a, some more announcements later on or we'll have a catch up soon yeah. and, and we'll do. Yeah. How about yeah, that? Definitely. So we'll follow you on, on, on your Twitter. Hopefully uh, you, you reactivate it and, and we can see what's going on and then uh, see more of your writings. We'll follow you on uh, Medium at uh, the handle is DT, the letter D and the letter T. It's, it's actually Torda yeah. as well. You can you can look for Torda. Oh, so Torda I, as well. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, okay. I try to maintain the same everywhere. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so we'll follow your writings. We'll follow your posts and uh, we definitely wish the best on your journey. Awesome. Good talking to you, my All right, friend. Thanks. All thanks right. for your time. See you soon, Bye-bye. hopefully. Hey, listeners, thanks for listening to another episode of EOA. If you enjoyed the stories, like the content, or learn something new, please share the love. Share this episode with your friends and family and spread the word. Help write a review on your podcast platform as it helps us a lot. So what did we learn today? The space in between executing on ideas and solving problems is often a weird space. Sometimes we pause to reorient Sometimes we take too long, and sometimes we rush ahead onto our next project or venture without thinking. 
There are a group of people who like to think in two buckets, those who have made it and those who haven't. Sometimes we forget the nuance in the thick of it, but there does exist a group of entrepreneurs who are still on their journey, but are in the in-between. Not everyone strikes it lucky on their first few ventures to get an outlier return on quote-unquote success. Why is this space important? It's a great opportunity to reflect and purposefully learn and unlearn in order to succeed next time. It's also a great time to reconnect and work with other entrepreneurial friends who are on the same journey that you never had a chance to work with before. Lastly, it presents a great group for investors to find a type of entrepreneur further along their career who may have a higher probability of success as long as those entrepreneurs are continuously growing. I hope you guys learned something too. See you guys back here for next week's episode. EOA out.